Ryan, and I get to serve as the associate pastor here, and it is such a joy uh, to be here uh, with you this morning, this awesome morning. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a question. My question is this, have you ever felt cursed before? Maybe you just looked at your life, maybe your schedule, or your family, and you step away thinking, wow, what a mess, what a wreck. Maybe instead of feeling blessed, your life felt wrecked. If you're a believer today, you will be learning how Jesus shares that you are, we'll call it hashtag blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Oftentimes, the Christian uh, definition of blessed and the worldly secular definition of blessed are very different. They're polar opposites. Today in the Gospel of Matthew, we will see that Jesus, what he has to say about being blessed and what being blessed really looks like, and what it truly means. But before we approach this text in Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 12, why don't we go to God in prayer? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we come to you right now um, asking uh, humbly that you give us grace, you give us mercy, and you give us the ability to want to learn from your word, God. I pray that you can make it crystal clear um, in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives, God. I pray that right now during this time, we really focus, we, we lean in, and we trust in you, God. And we listen to what you have to say. It's in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Awesome. So like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Um, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you will see that Matthew 5 through 7 is the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's also seen in Luke. And Basically, right now, we're going to do verses 1 through 12. And so this is known as the Beatitudes. And we'll start in verse 1. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So before we dive in, one thing that we notice right here is that Jesus is about to teach something. He's about to teach something very important. Whenever it says that Jesus taught them something, that means we're about to listen. We're about to lean in, or we should listen, and we should lean in. So what, what has happened in the passages before this? What has Jesus done before he goes onto this mountain? Well, I can tell you. Jesus just spent his time uh, in the synagogues proclaiming the gospel he healed people and helped people dealing with afflictions. You're going to say, Brian, where do you get that from? I get it from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 23. And it says, uh, also, people from Syria were bringing people afflicted with diseases, pains, seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. That's also, also in Matthew 4, verse 24. Crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus just spent his time ministering to people, uh, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom, and he's about to teach something very radical, very important, and very uh, influential into our lives. And so who is Jesus talking to? That's also important to note. 
According to Matthew 4.25, Jesus is addressing primarily the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. But he's also talking to the crowds that followed him. So he's talking to both. So first, we got to notice, he's talking to the disciples, his core group, his inner group, right? But he's also talking to the crowds that followed him. And so my point, my first point for today is this. Jesus taught his followers about who blessed people are. Jesus taught his followers about who the blessed people are. Okay, you guys ready? Matthew 5, verse 3. We're going to dive in right now. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I see this in the Old Testament. I see this verse um, in the Old Testament in Isaiah 61, 1. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. So Jesus came in, and he was anointed. This is prophecy to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, those who are stuck in sin, who are stuck, unable to be freed. Jesus came to free the captives. Jesus also came uh, to save, to seek and save the lost. Right? And so, we, who are broken down, who are sad, and are mourning, have a brand new hope because of Jesus. Although life around us and surrounding us can be horrible, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. For me in my life, it's always uh, really difficult um, when a family member passes away, right? We spend time in mourning. We spend time uh, grieving over that loss. I remember how hard it was when my, my grandfather passed away, and I still deal with that, those wounds. I still deal with that brokenness of missing him. But at the same time, God has comforted me in my distress. In, in my weak moments, God has been there and rescued me and saved me through his word, through learning, through praying. I've, able, I've been able to see the hope that I have in Jesus. Psalm 34, 18, you might remember about a year ago I preached a sermon on Psalm 34. Well, there's a great verse in there, and this is David speaking when he was going through one of the darkest moments of his life. One thing that we know about darkness, that when darkness surrounds us, the moment light comes in, light overcomes the darkness. Jesus is the true light, and he will overcome the darkest moments. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So those who are mourning, those who are poor in spirit, Jesus actually, in their lives, comes in and renews them. He gives them new life. He gives them a new hope, and he gives them a new ability to no longer continue staying um, in that uh, we're allowed to mourn, but at the same time, we're given something that is called joy in the Bible. So one thing that uh, you should notice, anytime it says blessed, we are going to replace that word with joyful. This is allowed. 
Okay, we, we, were, we were actually, uh, <laughs> if you noticed, uh, last week we went to uh, the core courses and Dr. Dan talked about translations, right? And so certain words are translated in certain ways. Um, blessed, actually, it literally means happy. Um, but I don't think that's the correct definition because our happiness is often a lot different in the world, right? I was talk, talk, teaching on this yesterday um, for our college group. Happiness is different than joy, right? Happiness is different because happiness is temporary. It's circumstantial. Um, like, I might be happy if you guys donated a, a Lamborghini to me, right? I might be happy in that moment. That's just a joke. That's, that's a total joke. But I'm just saying, like, or anyone, if anyone got a Lamborghini for free and got all of their rent paid for, like, they'd be pretty happy. They'd be pretty stoked. They'd be like, yes, right? We see it all the time. Like, people are on, like, all these game shows, and they're like, yeah, I won the car. Woo! <laughs> you get a car. You get a car. You get a car. No. But, <laughs> but basically, we, we are happy because of that. The repo guy comes, takes the car. Are you still happy? Yeah, I don't think so, right? Your, your happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is not. Your joy is based on your faith. Your joy is based on what Christ has done in your life. It is not based on circumstances. Because you can have joy even in the worst circumstances. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But also, we notice that there's times where we're mourning, where we're crushed in spirit, where we're broken, right? We're mourning over the loss of a friend or a family member, or we're even mourning over our sin, right? Ecclesiastes says it great, and we were just in the book of Ecclesiastes for our college group, so we got to go over this whole book together. And in verses 2 through 4, it says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. Why? Going through hardship, going through grief, it actually produces character. It produces character in our faith. It can both challenge and it can also test our faith. Once we face death, maybe of a family member, or we see a family member has, um, or, or even one of our friends has faced death, we realize that the only thing that really mattered in life was what? Your relationships, right? Your relationships is what mattered. For the Christian, what's the two most important relationships? It should be God and people. God and people. It shouldn't be money, it shouldn't be status, it shouldn't be being popular. It should be God and people. Those are the two most important things in this world. I think if you can realize that and live up to that, loving God and loving people, you're pretty much set for life. And so, as we're dealing with mourning, as we're dealing with these things, there's a promise. And what's that promise? We see it in verse three and four, you will be comforted. You will be comforted. 
So trust in he who comforts. If you're going through mourning, if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a difficult season and you are just, your world is shaken, trust in the God that loves you and cares about you and wants to know, know you personally. That's so important because it can change your whole outlook on life. It can change your whole grieving process and mourning process. It's not to say that it's not painful or hurtful at times to go through these processes of, of mourning and sadness, but we also have hope. We're not left there. We'll continue on. Uh, verses 5 through 9. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So verse 5, we'll go back. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or joyful are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37.11 says this, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Christ was considered meek. Now I want you to think about this for a second. There's a huge difference between being weak and being meek. Weak means that you're unable to show and possess any type of significant power, right? You're incapable of having that ability to show power, or in our terms today, to flex, right? You're not able to do it. That's being weak. But being meek is being so strong, so powerful, that you are able to exemplify self-control. Self-control. It takes someone that is disciplined, someone that is um, able to have strength in order to be meek, right? It takes work, especially for us Christians. It takes us that heart transformation, because we're, we're not usually, most of us aren't usually meek, right? Sometimes we can be pretty angry or upset or get irritated. I know some, some of you guys, I won't say this, but uh, on the freeway, you guys might not be so meek, right? Especially when there's traffic and someone cuts you off, not so meek, right? But these are just things that we can th- think about and apply to our lives. Are we doing these things? Is this how Christ is transforming us? Matthew 11.29 says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, or also meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Even Jesus, the most powerful, was considered meek. See, he's not considered weak. And so in the same way, we are to exemplify and be imitators of Christ and to be meek as well. Verse 6, joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How many of you guys are satisfied? Not all the time, right? A A lot of us in our culture, we want the next big thing, right? 
We want the next laptop. We want the next iPhone. We want the next thing, right? We, we want whatever's popular or cool. A lot of times we aren't satisfied. Or maybe you've watched a TV show and you finished all 10 seasons of a show. And you're like, okay, that ended. What do I watch now, right? You're still dissatisfied because you want to watch something else or want to watch more. See, we, we as people have this problem with satisfaction. We, we don't feel satisfied. Um, especially if we had uh, Chick-fil-A today or if we had In-N-Out, there's some times where I'm super hungry and one Chick-fil-A sandwich does not satisfy me, right? I want the mac and cheese. I want the fries. Or I want, if I'm at In-N-Out, the double-double, animal-style, grilled onions, right? <laughs> Maybe a shake if I'm feeling, you know, like I worked out enough that week. <laughs> but we don't feel satisfied. Right? There's a lot of times in our lives where we don't feel satisfied. I'm going to translate it like this. Joyful are those who desire God. Joyful are those who desire God, for they shall be satisfied. Those who desire God. Psalm 107.9 says this. For God, he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Those that desire godliness, God is the source of true righteousness. So the only way we can become righteous is through being connected to Christ who is the only one who can be completely righteous and pure, and who can also, at the same time, satisfy us, right? There's nothing else in this world that will satisfy us. If we think about it, right? You, you get a new car. What happens five, six years, maybe ten years down the road? You guys probably want a new car, right? Or your laptop breaks. You probably want a new laptop. Any of those things, your satisfaction is not there. I love what John Piper says, and he says this. It's not on the slide, but he says this. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It's because it means that we're content, that we're not wanting more worldly things. We're not wanting to be considered cool or awesome or all these other things that can fill our temporary desires, right? But instead, we're living for God. We're living selflessly, asking how we can serve Him. And I think as people that are missionaries, they sacrifice so much, right? Um, they, they, they sacrifice so much, um, going without so much. But it's because they love God, they desire God, that they're willing to be content and be satisfied in Him. And I, I think we should be more like the missionaries or more like Christ, right? More satisfied in God and being content with what He's given us instead of trying to be cool or want more stuff, right? And, and that's a heart check for all of us because it is not easy. The world is constantly advertising to us you need this, right? You have to have this in order to even be relevant today, right? It's not true. All you need in life truly is Jesus. 
Mark 10.18 says this, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why do I say this? Because it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness isn't self-righteousness. Not, it's not like, blessed are those who do really good things, right? It's those who desire Christ, because Christ is only, only he is truly righteous. Only he is good. Only he was both 100% man and 100% God. He was the only person to walk the earth without sin. And because he was without sin, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. And so this is something to think about. None of us are righteous on our own. None of us are good enough to enter heaven on our own. It doesn't matter if you go to 45 church services or 100,000 church services or you serve in this many nonprofits or you give this much money. None of that matters if you're not connected to true righteousness. And that true righteousness is Christ. And I, I think that's, that's a major problem in Christianity today is that people think if you do good things, you're going to get to heaven. That is not how you get to heaven. The only way that you get to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. It is only through Jesus. It is not through self-righteousness. It is through God's righteousness that we come to that relationship with him and salvation. Matthew 5, verse 7. Joyful are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Luke 6, 35-36 says this. It's a good way to explain it. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And verse 36 says this, Be merciful, even as your Father, Father God, is merciful. So Jesus, he shows us mercy, right? When we are at our worst and most sinful state, completely against God, before we even knew about church or came to church, right? When we're still uh, stuck in sin, before we had a relationship with him, he still decided, before we were even born, he still decided to be crucified, to go through the pain, to go through the agony, and to save our souls so that we would be in a real relationship with him. Now, isn't that amazing? Someone who's perfect, perfectly innocent, amazing, was put to death because of you and me. But he gave us mercy because he loved us. Can't we show mercy to those around us when they make a mistake? When they do something that offends us? Can't we show mercy to them? Can't we show kindness to them? And show that despite those things that they've done, they are still forgiven and loved and cherished? Because even those offenses might be detrimental or, or difficult or hard. Don't they matter? Don't those people matter? Don't you want to see them saved by God in a loving relationship with God? Because trust me, sometimes it's the unexpected people that you do not in any way expect 
to come into relationship with God, they do. And oftentimes it's because someone showed them forgiveness. Someone showed them mercy and kindness when they didn't deserve it. And that's the message of the gospel. Jesus did that for us. He showed us kindness and mercy when we don't deserve it in any sense. We don't. But he cares about us. Verse 8, Joyful are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jerry Bridges says this in The Pursuit of Holiness. We got to read this in the Hirota group. Um, really good. I like Jerry Bridges. It's kind of funny. His last name is Bridges because we're at Bridges Church. He's No, just to clarify, he's not named, or this church isn't named after him. <laughs> but Jerry Bridges says this, the same grace that brings salvation teaches us to renounce ungodly living. The same grace that brings us to salvation teaches us to renounce ungodly living. This is also a problem in Christianity today. People think that if you say a prayer, that that will save you. Well, that, I mean, having faith in Jesus and trusting him and confessing that he is Lord, that saves you. But also, we have to really think about, is our relationship with God real? Is it real? Are we actually living a true life? Because if we are a true Christian then there will be evidence that we are a Christian. There will be evidence in our life that we are a Christian. We'll have the fruit of the Spirit. We'll show that there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things. But it's, not, once again, not works of ourselves. It's an inward working of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, that God works in your life, and He changes and transforms you. It might take time, it might be moments where you feel convicted and you're like, oh gosh, I, I should not be near this thing or I should not look at this thing or I should not allow myself to do this sin, right? Because the Lord is changing and transforming you and that, that is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so that's part of being a Christian is we're going to renounce ungodly living. We're not going to find sin as pleasurable as or, or want it, or desire it, as much as we did when we weren't a believer. Because that's, that's called a heart check. We need to have a heart check, basically, and say, are we still enjoying sin? Are we still like finding it desirable? Or are we finding God desirable and we want to live like Him? Are we truly being satisfied by God? Are we truly desiring Him? Because this... Psalm 24.4 He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Basically, we have to remember is our, is our hands pure? Are our hands pure? Not on our own. They're only pure and cleansed by God but if he's truly cleansed them, there will also be evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. There will also be evidence. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call from the Lord from a pure heart. And then 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth 
for his sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we'll see that because we've been purified, we will be obedient to God. That purification leads us to, through faith, leads us to obedience in God. That we see because we're obedient, we're able to um, basically have a real relationship with God. So we have been purified. We've been purified by Christ's blood on, through the cross, right? We have been redeemed. And because of that, we now are obedient to God. And if we're not obedient, that's where we have to question. Are we truly Christians? Are we truly living lives that are honoring God? And that's something I've had to ask myself over years, right? Am I truly living for God in obedience, or do I just hold the title Christian? And that's what I think the problem is with Christianity today. A lot of Christians think that they don't have to be obedient to God's Word. They think they can just come to church, but that they don't have to obey. If you truly love God, you will be obedient. And then verse 9. Joyful are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is important to note because the whole basis of Christianity we see is, is love. God loves us, and he also wants to love those around us, right? He wants us to love others. That's like throughout the whole Bible. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see it throughout the New Testament, that we are called, the whole point of our faith is to love God and love others. So point number two, the blessed people are broken people who have been restored and adopted by God. The blessed people are broken people who have been restored and adopted by God. So in one sense we've been restored. We are no longer living that sinful life where we're just stuck in sin. And instead, we're living a new life where we are transformed. And then the adoption process means that God adopted us. He came in and he chose us. And he didn't have to. But because he loves us, he chose us. James 3, 17 through 18 says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So going back to that verse on blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We see that a harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Why? If we're going around sinning, how is that honoring God? If we're going around trying to cause havoc and try to cause drama, that's not honoring God. But if we're trying to show love to one another, then that creates peace. That creates um, people feeling like they're ma- they matter and feeling valued and that they're cherished and cared for. 
Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we'll go back to verse 10. Joyful are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 2 Timothy 2.12 says this, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faced with that question, are you willing to die for God? Are you willing to die for God? Are you willing to stand up for your faith? And if you have to, if you're persecuted, are you willing to die for it? Or would you renounce God? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. So many people are persecuted for their faith today. So many people are dying because they choose Christ. Are we willing to die for Jesus? He was crucified for us. Are we willing to die for our faith? And also remember, what matters now isn't just, like, this life on the earth is temporary. Our real eternity is in, either in heaven or hell. That's a, those are two real places. Those are two real places. Do we want to live in faith for Jesus in a real relationship that is willing to take risks and willing to be persecuted? Because that is what a Christian is. A Christian is one who is going to be persecuted, who will be hated by others, who is not always the popular person in the culture. In our culture, Christians are usually mocked and made fun of and there's a lot of bad words that, are, that, uh, that people call Christians. Are you willing to face that persecution? But also, are you willing to face even tougher persecution? Even to the point of death. Are you willing to do those things? I know it would be difficult. I know that Jesus matters, and I... I, would, I cannot imagine not giving my life for Jesus. He's done so much in my life. He matters so much. I trust that even if I got hit by a bus today or, or something happened, I love Jesus. He matters most to me, and that's all that matters in my life. My family matters. My friends matter. But to me, nothing matters more than Jesus. And I hope that's the same for all of you. Because we're all going to face death at one point. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing to give up those things that you once desired and instead be satisfied by God? This is a serious question. This is something that we can't take lightly because so many people are dying for Christ. Are you willing to take a stand and live for Jesus? 1 Peter 3.14 says this, But even if you should suffer, 
Or in another sense, if you should die for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Matthew 5.11 says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you against you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on your account. And then verse 12, it says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted prophets who were before you. That's the whole point is, do you have a temporary perspective? Are you just thinking about your life now? Or do you have a Christian eternal perspective that life right now is preparing you for the future? for when we're with God in heaven, for when we pass away one day? Are you preparing for eternity or are you just focusing on right now? Those are some questions you should ask yourselves. I mean, I've heard it said so many times, the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. And it is the most beautiful story about how the God of the universe came down and loves us, was persecuted. He was willing to sacrifice, be sacrificed on our behalf because he believes that each and every one of you are worth it to him. He believes that you matter. He believes that you have purpose in your life and that you're worth the sacrifice. But the question is, are you willing to sacrifice your life? Are you willing to deny yourself of so many things in life because you care so much about Christ as well? And that's a, that's a real honest question. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And then James puts it so awesomely. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 1 Peter four thirteen says this. But rejoice insofar as you... Share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So there is hope. Even though we may be suffering now, there is hope in Christ that one day there will once again be no more death, there will be no more sin, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, but you will have eternity in heaven with other believers and with Christ. So point number three, you are blessed. Rejoice and trust in the giver of blessings. So the Beatitudes, those those are what we went through, but it doesn't end there. And what is the Beatitude? It's a blessing. It's a a statement of blessing. And our, our statement of blessing is showing us that to be blessed means to be joyful, to be satisfied in God, to be joyful and fulfilled in God. And the blessed person is you, those who believe, 
those who trust, have a real relationship with Christ and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, that is the blessed people. And, and this passage is often called the flipped kingdom because everything in this passage was pretty much backwards to what the world would think, right? If you're mourning, how could you be joyful? But it's because of Christ that we have all these different types of hope, joy, and ability to be transformed and to have a different outlook and perspective on life. But like I said, he doesn't end here. Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And here we go. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a light, uh, people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. Point four. Because you have been blessed by God so greatly, be a light and be a blessing to others. Be a light, be a blessing to others. Share your faith with people. Share what Jesus has done in your life, how God has radically transformed your life as a broken person, as a person who had no hope, who had no joy, who had no peace, who had no comfort, and instead gave you a brand new life. The old has passed away, and you've been made a brand new creation. Second Thessalonians 5.17, I believe, says that. And we have been made brand new. That is the hope. That is the joy that we have. We are the blessed people. We are the joyful people. We are the brand new people because of Christ and His righteousness we shall be satisfied. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for just the amazing grace and love and mercy and, and just all the wonderful things you've given us, Lord. I pray that we remember how blessed we truly are, Lord. I pray that we don't forget that. And I pray that in times of suffering, in times of darkness, Lord, that we hold on to the hope that is in you, Christ. We love you and we give you thanks and praise. It's in your mighty, powerful name, Father God. Amen. Awesome.